I still remember an incident that happened when I was in high school. Wow. <laughs> Ten or so years ago. <laughs> okay, maybe not that. And it was in driver's training. Any of you ever do driver's training? Most of you. I don't know if they still separate driver's ed and driver's training. Driver's ed is sort of the classroom stuff, and you get out of that thinking you know how to drive, and then driver's training is where you realize you have no clue. And, and, and we're driving down the road, and, and it was a, there was three of us with an instructor, instructor, and it was one of those cars that had the dual brake pedals. Didn't have dual steering wheels, but dual brake pedals. I guess they figured at least we can stop you. And um, I had taken my turn already, and it was a little rough, and did a couple things wrong, and the instructor was letting us know. And then, then we switched, and I got in the back seat, and another another person from the high school was driving, and we're going through a neighborhood, and we come to a blind intersection. And the the um, student driving didn't bother to look left or right, which apparently you're supposed to do in a blind intersection. And as we go through the intersection, all of a sudden, BAM! And there was little puddles in each of our seats. Uh, <laughs> man, did it, did it. <laughs> Scared us to death. And the driver was just shaking. Just shaking. And we look around, and there's no car. There's no car. And the instructor is sort of chuckling. And what we didn't know is he was trying to teach a lesson about blind intersections because this person had been repeatedly doing this and he had said, you need to look, and they wouldn't look, so he had casually put his hand outside the car. And as we went through the intersection, he went, wham! And it was enough to just scare us to death. And you know what? To this day, to this day, when I come to a blind intersection, I slow down and I look. I wasn't even driving. But isn't it interesting how we, we, when we think of driving and when we think of something like that, we always know that there has to be a practical side to that education, doesn't there? We rarely would just give someone the, the DMV book and say, memorize it, say, okay, you're good to go. I'll ride with you. It's say, no, we would never do that. I, I've taught several people how to drive, and it is the scariest thing I've ever done in my life, especially as they drift to the right and those, those cars that don't move. And, and, um, but no, we give practical training, and we get in the car with them, and we say, this is how you do it, where we can grab the wheel if we need to, where we can direct if we need to, because there has to be practical training. Just like if you were going into certain professions, like if you were becoming a doctor, probably the book knowledge is not enough. Would you agree? If you were in and you were having surgery and the doctor said, you know, I've never even been in, in a, a um, surgical room before, but I've read about it. So go ahead, have confidence, we're good, I'm going to cut you open and we're going to just start taking stuff out. No, we would say, no, I'm expecting you to have some training. And, and what do doctors have to do? They have to intern and do a residency where they're with other doctors and they're trained. And someone that knows how to do it comes alongside and shows them how to do it, lets them try it under instruction before then the, the end goal is to say, go do it. Go do it. In the last three weeks, and, and our theme for the year is discipleship is discipleship, and it's reproduced, called to disciple. 
And the idea is the same. When we come to the Christian life, when someone comes to a saving faith in Christ and repents of their sins and acknowledges Jesus as Lord, in the same way, we don't just say, okay, you're on your own. Go, go tell me what the Christian walk is like. At least we shouldn't do that. So many times we default to that because we're not sure what to do. As, as a church and as an individual, how do you train someone to maturity? How do you bring someone along in the faith? And that's what discipleship's about. That's what being called to disciple is about. To say, you know what, I'm going to let you drive, but I'm going to be right here. I'm going to teach you how. I'm going to teach you how to walk with God. I'm going to teach you how to study God's Word. I'm going to teach you how to be a disciple so that you can do the same thing. By way of review, I have a couple slides I want to put up of, of some of the things we covered last week. The first thing we looked at last week is what does a disciple look like? What does it mean to be a disciple? If we go to this next slide, there's our disciple guy. There we go. We looked at five different characteristics out of John 15, and actually the, the whole book of John, that mark a disciple that Jesus says, if you're a disciple, you do these things. The first one was spiritual growth, or he abides in Christ and his word. And just some ways to sort of quantify that, to get our heads around that. A disciple is a student of God's Word. He loves it, lives it, um, has an active devotional life, obedient to God's Word, free from the bondage of sin, because we know that the study of God's Word and memorizing God's Word and a commitment to that is a direct antidote to sin. Disciple, by abiding in Christ, trusts God. A disciple is about the spiritual discipline, memorizes God's Word, meditates on God's Word, active prayer life, faithful in tithing. Those kinds of things are marks of a disciple. So the first mark is spiritual growth, abiding in Christ as His Word. Second mark, it's community. A disciple loves as Christ loves. A disciple loves others as Christ loves. And some of the ways we do that is by being faithful in our attendance to church. You can't love others if you're not with others. And so a disciple loves others, regularly attends church, acts in a loving way toward others, even if they annoy us to death, even if they make us angry. We act in a loving way toward others. Meets needs. Part of loving each other is to meet each other's needs. And I am amazed at... There just has to be a whisper of a need here and people are flocking to meet it. That's community. That's loving others. Third mark of a disciple we saw in John was ministry or outreach. A disciple bears fruit. If if a tree doesn't bear fruit, it might not be a fruit tree. And so a disciple, a true disciple, will always bear fruit, exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, makes other disciples, and serves in the church, in ministry in the church. Those are marks of a disciple. Fourth one is a disciple glorifies the Master above all else glorifies the Master above all else. It's why we come together and worship. It's represented in a dedication to worship. But it's also represented in a commitment to abandon self. That my Master's will, His ministry, His purpose for the church is more important than my time. More important than my entertainment. More important than self. And the fifth mark that we mentioned was joy. A disciple has joy from the Master. We saw that again in John chapter 15. That God intended us to live life and live it to the full to experience His joy and His peace. Now out of those five things came eight ingredients of discipleship. 
And it's important to review these because that's where we end up going today is how do we put those into practice. So if we look at the next slide and move those over, we have eight ingredients of discipleship that come out of it. The first three come out of spiritual growth. And that's a discipling relationship always includes the study and application of God's Word. It always includes real mutual accountability. This is the obedience factor. We saw Jesus said that my disciples obey my word. Well, how do we do that in discipling? We hold each other accountable. We say, okay, how are you doing at obeying God's word this week? How are you doing at putting this into practice? This is where we hold each other accountable for the spiritual disciplines. How much time did you spend in the word this week? How much time did you spend loving others this week? Have you memorized God's word this week? Important things. Third thing out of abiding in Christ and spiritual growth that is involved in discipleship, an ingredient of discipleship, is serious prayer for each other. Serious prayer for each other. Then we go down to community. How do we love others? We integrate this into discipleship through personal, transparent relationships. We have to care about each other. We have to get involved in each other's lives. If we're not involved in each other's lives, we are not discipling. Because information alone does not disciple. Just as driver's ed doesn't teach you to drive. It takes hands-on, living life together experience. Fifth thing that is involved in a discipling relationship is ministry or service, going beyond ourselves. It's easy when we're discipling someone to fall into the trap of being inwardly focused. And if we always include an element of how can we serve others, how can we minister as I disciple you, then that is an ingredient that keeps us focused on the ministry of God. Sixth part of bearing fruit is discipleship always has the goal of reproduction. It always has the goal of saying, you've learned, now you do. I've taught you to be a disciple, now go teach someone else to be a disciple. Number seven, out of glorify the master above all else, we have a commitment. Discipling relationships take commitment. And we talked about that last week. If, if, if we only meet once this year, that's not a discipling relationship. It takes counting the cost for the glory of God from both the one doing the discipling and the one being discipled. And finally, joy. Enjoyment. Uh, God has intended His family to come together and just love being together. Have fun together to enjoy being together. And so those are eight ingredients that are essential for us to remember as we talk this morning about, okay, how do we put this into practice? How do we put this into practice at Village? And this morning is the last of the three weeks we're going to be doing on this. We'll we'll come back to this theme in September. We'll hit it a little bit on Father's Day and Mother's Day. But so today I've tried to answer a number of questions that people have been asking in the last three weeks. Okay, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do this? And the first question that is often asked is, Okay, Ron, is this another program? Is this just another thing that you're going to ask us to do? We're already doing community groups. We already have Sunday school, and, and you really like us to be there on Sunday morning. So, so really, are we just adding one other thing? And I wanted to give an idea of how discipleship works within the context of all the ministries at Village. Because discipleship isn't about a program that we do this and we're done and we check it off. Discipleship is about something that is integrated into our DNA, into everything we do. But let me put up this graph of the different ministries that we have. 
And we have the ingredients on the right side here. On the left will be the, the various activities that we do. And the basis for this, if you think of Christ's ministry, we just finished studying through the book of Mark, and he had various groups that he associated with, right? He had a large group of disciples. There was the large crowd that didn't know him, but then there were a crowd of disciples that followed him that he ministered to and he taught generally. And so that's the crowd, and that that corresponds to our Sunday worship service. There's ingredients of discipleship that our Sunday worship service gives a firm foundation to that we don't do in the other spheres of ministry. The three ingredients that really Sunday morning hits, studying the Word. Studying and digging into the Word. It's a little bit more someone up here talks and you listen and take notes, so it's not as interactive as some of the other ways, but we have a commitment to the Word. Second ingredient is the ingredient of commitment. And and worship comes out of that. How do we glorify the Father? We're committed to coming Sunday morning. We're committed to worshiping together. And then joy. If you just heard the the greet time, man, there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of, of just loving each other and enjoying to be together. Those are some of the things that come out of our Sunday worship service. It's a foundation for everything we do. If you take it out, you lose some of those ingredients. The next sphere that Jesus had, he had the large group. And then, if you remember, he had a smaller group of about 70. And he sent those out on missions trips, and they were, they were more geared around a task or around a ministry. And so they got some additional teaching for that and were sent out. And so if we go to the next layer, we have the 70. And, and I think of those at Village in terms of our ministry groups. Maybe it's Second Harvest coming this Sunday, where we come together and there's a group of about 50 that work Second Harvest and hand out food and and reach out to our neighborhood. Maybe women's ministry or men's ministry or some of the group things that we do fits into this. And it's important to understand that each of these layers build on the layer before. And so the ministry groups, when we get together for Second Harvest, that's not replacing Sunday worship. I hope people don't come Saturday and say, check, went to church this week. No, that's, that's an opportunity to minister. And so it adds the ingredients of ministry and service. Now, not exclusively. It adds a lot of fellowship, a lot of coming together as community. But primarily, it adds ministry and service. We go to the next category, and this corresponds to the 12. Jesus spent the majority of his time with 12 disciples. Twelve disciples that would change the world, that would start the church. And when we think of the twelve, I think of our community groups. I think of our Sunday school classes. A smaller group that we can be more interactive with one another, that we can pray for one another, that we can build relationships. And that's an ingredient of those type of groups that is really hard in the layers below. You need the foundation. They build on one another. And they include the others. So community groups and Sunday school classes should still have a commitment to the Word and um, exhibit commitment and joy and ministry and service. But it adds prayer and relationship. And then finally, the last circle that we saw with Jesus was the, the three. Peter, James, and John. And we saw throughout Mark that He kept bringing the three along into ministry settings, into deeper teaching settings. Settings where they sometimes failed and he was able to come alongside and teach. And that was a discipling relationship. The three. 
and an ingredient that you get in a, in a small discipling relationship that is just so difficult to, to integrate into the others is that of reproduction and that of accountability. Reproduction and accountability. When we disciple someone in close settings, we teach them how to do that again. And so we reproduce, we, we build new disciples. Accountability. It's really hard in the other settings. Probably An example I use in our community group is probably when I'm standing up here, I don't call someone out and say, you know what, I know you talked to me that this particular area is a weakness. And so how are you doing with that? Just right in front of 200 people. No, you, you'd throw things at me and never come back. That's not the setting for it. But a discipling setting is, is the setting for that. It's an area of accountability. So that's how we see discipleship. All of that is discipleship, but the discipling relationship culminates everything else we do and integrates into everything we do to create an opportunity for accountability, for creating disciples, for making disciples as we're commanded in God's Word. So how do we put that into practice? I mentioned that discipleship is not a program. Discipleship is a process, not a program. It's a ministry of the church, not something we check off as something we have to do as a church. And so I put in your notes, our goal is to three things. Equip, facilitate, and encourage. Equip, facilitate, and encourage. Here's what we're not planning to do. And some of you, I think, have been nervous the last three weeks. What is he going to ask us to do the final week? He's building up to something. Here's what, what I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to take sign-ups at the back door and pair you up and say, here's your discipling relationships. Go get them. Here's the book you have to do. You have to meet on Wednesday night for this hour. Go get them. Now, that may be a valid way to do it, and that may work in some settings, but what we are looking for as, a, as an elder board here is to say, okay, can we equip the saints? Can we give you the resources you need and say, go do it and have the Holy Spirit work in your lives where, where you work it and, and pray through and we'll talk about that. How, who do I disciple? What material should, should I use? How will this work for our setting? And so we want to equip and facilitate and encourage, provide resources, training, and guidance. Part of facilitating is if, if you are, are this morning and, and coming up saying, man, I'd really like to be discipled. I really feel like I need this. And you're not sure what to do, then come to us and say, okay, Pastor Ron, Pastor Andrew, one of the elders, I'd really like to be discipled. Can you, can you point me in a direction of someone that might be able to do that? And then we facilitate that. We bring those relationships together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, as, as Paul is writing about the gifts given to the church, we read, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Who does the ministry? All of us. The saints. And the leadership equips the saints and empowers them. It says, go do it. Go see what God's going to do. That's the model I'd like to use for discipleship. 
My concern is, like I said, if we, if we have it as a program, then we view it as this segregated little box. And, and we're so good at boxing things in, and, and so then discipleship becomes this one little thing that I do at this one time, and we lose the whole point of living life together. We lose the whole point of what is powerful about discipleship. Because discipleship is, is just part of everything we do. Everything we think of. How can I be discipling some, someone? How can I bring, be bringing someone else along? To do that, the framework that I'd like to use this morning is the process that Jesus used. And the example of Christ. And then we'll talk about some very specific things this morning. Some very practical things. But Jesus did three things. He called he trained, and he sent. He called, he trained, and he sent. The first point you have there is Jesus called. He called the disciples to himself. He chose them through prayer, through coming to, to, to God the Father, and he spent the whole night in prayer, and then he chose the twelve. And he went to them in Matthew 4.19, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And he called them to abandon their life. He called them to a life that was so dedicated to the Father and so dedicated to to who he was that they would be discipled in every area of life. It was costly. He called them like to, as we go through these points, look at three different passages. And you might want to keep your fingers in, in all of them. And they're all familiar. But it, really today is about summarizing everything we've been teaching. Turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We'll start with that. And we'll read that. And we'll keep coming back to these three passages at every point because you'll see the similarities in each of the passages. Matthew 28, verse 19. The Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we've spent some time there to talk about going. And as we're going through life, then we, we, we make disciples. We call them and and we, we seek them out. You see, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is bringing them into the body. That's the initiation. And then we see the training and teach. So keep your finger there and then turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 5. 1 Thessalonians 1, starting at verse 5. And we see another example of discipleship. Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. 
You see that they lived with them, that they came to them, that they saw God working, and so they came and they discipled. Verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. And in that passage, as we talk about Jesus called, Jesus saw where Jesus went to God and said, who should I call? We see in verse 5 there of the 1 Thessalonians passage that Paul looked for where God was working, where the gospel had come in power, where the Holy Spirit was doing a work And that's where he said, I need to disciple. Not his choice, but looking for the Holy Spirit for his choice. Keep your finger there and also look over at 2 Timothy chapter 2. A passage that we looked at the 1st of January, where Paul here is talking to one of his disciples, his son in the faith. And we see the same thing. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we see the same pattern. Jesus called, and we see Paul choosing where to go and choosing to disciple. We see Paul instructing Timothy, choose faithful men. And so the burden is on the discipler. The burden is on the mature to say, God, show me who you want me to invest in. Show me what you're doing. Use me in that way. Jesus called 12 men to himself. But have you ever thought about who he called? He called some weird people. He called some people that you would never think someone would call. Someone wrote a letter to Jesus, sort of a fictitious letter from the Jordan Management Consultants, to Jesus, son of Joseph, at Woodcrafter's Carpenter Shop. Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our advice and for your guidance, we make some general comments, much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultations and comes without any additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept, We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. (laughs) James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings. 
One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, ambitious and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. Sincerely yours, Jordan Management Consultants. Praise God, Jesus went to the Father for who to disciple. And he went to the Father for who to choose. And he chose men based on what God could do with them, not based on where the world thought they were at. And that's particularly interesting to us when we consider who will we disciple? Who will we invest in? And I'm not saying here that we should avoid those that we think are the best. But the the point is is that this is a God decision, not a Ron decision. Not, Not a personal decision. This is a God decision. And so if we're to call like Jesus called, the first step that we have to do is to pray. To pray. To come to God and say, who would you have me disciple? It's why for the last few months... I have just asked you to pray that God would put two people on your heart. And that wasn't just filler until we got to the resources. That is the first step. That is the most important step to come and say, God, who do you want to use? Where are you working? I would also encourage you to pray for yourself to ask, are you ready? Are you ready for the commitment? Are you ready to live a life that someone can imitate and so imitate Christ? So in choosing, we need to pray. And before you jump into discipleship, I encourage you to dedicate time to prayer. Second, to decide. To ask the question, who to choose? To take what God has put on your heart through that time of prayer and to to take the relationships that you have around you and say, where does God want me to invest? Who would God have you disciple? Some of you that are younger in the faith and some of you are sitting here saying, I just want to be discipled. So who might you have that you would want to disciple you? But again, the goal here is for the discipler to be the inviter. It is so powerful when someone older in the faith, when someone that has walked with Christ comes alongside a young man or woman and says, you know what, I'd like to invest in your life. That statement alone sets the tone for the whole discipling relationship. I know we have some of our youth in here. Can I just have the junior high and high school and college students stand? Just stand for a moment, please. And we'll talk about discipleship. It's not always older and younger. But look around to these men and women. This is a field that we can invest in. That we can come alongside and say, Matt, I believe God is working in your life. I'd like to invest in your life. What does that do for you? Wow. Yeah. Thank you. You guys can sit down. That group is part of what discipleship is about. The next deacons, the next elders, the next leaders of God's church. So how do you choose? 
How do you choose? And, and there's all kinds of practical things to consider here. The first thing I want to say to dads, if, if you are not discipling in your home, that's where you start. You start by choosing your wife and your children. And you start by saying, I am going to dedicate myself to being a spiritual leader of my home and discipling my home. Now, so many times we can, we can take that and that can become a, a, a 25-year excuse to not disciple anyone else. Don't go there, because then you're actually teaching your children some really negative views of Christianity. But if that's the need, you start there, and then as you do that, you bring others into that mix and disciple them along with your family. But start with your family. But also remember your spiritual family. I encourage people to pick two people. You've heard me say that a lot. And that doesn't mean discipleship can't happen one-on-one. Discipleship can be very effective one-on-one, but there's something that, that just adds to the process when it's one-on-two, when it's a triad. Because conversations suddenly get a little better. You get a little bit more iron sharpening iron. And it can be a powerful thing. Dads, if you have a son, I would encourage you to disciple your son and then maybe pick someone else in the church and have them join you. but shoot for two people of the same gender, men with men, women with women. There's power in three to a group. As you choose, I encourage you to think through relationships you already have. See, again, one of the fears of discipleship is it's going to take, you know, 25 more hours in my week and I only have one. So what if we picked relationships that are already in our lives? If you're a youth leader, maybe your discipleship group needs to be the youth that you're working with. I've seen people that that have just taken discipling relationships and brought them into regular life. Maybe it's bringing someone along with you as you minister in a certain area. If you have a ministry here at Village, maybe it's bringing an apprentice to that ministry or two apprentices. And then as you teach them what you're doing, as they help you, you teach them and bring in these other ingredients. It can be a powerful thing. I've seen people that have taken their work settings and taken some young men from the church and said, would you work with me? Would you just work with me? And in the process of doing that, pouring into their lives what it means to imitate Christ. See, it's not an hour program. It's how can we integrate this into what I'm already doing? Who can live life with you? Who do you have connections with? Choose people along the way. One other note, we often think of discipling relationships as older and younger, and that is a great way to look at it, a discipler and a disciplee and and teaching, and we're following Matthew 28.20 where it says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. But discipling relationships also happen in peer relationships because discipling has a mutual accountability. Two ladies in here, three ladies in here may just want to get together, study a book together, and encourage each other. And maybe there's, maybe there's no one that's, that's the elder spiritually. And that's okay. That's discipling as well. That's why I don't want to put it into a box. I want to say, what is the Holy Spirit putting on your heart? 
There's a principle of mutuality that has to pervade discipleship, even older and younger. Mutuality that says, I'll hold you accountable, but you can hold me accountable. Because we're helping each other grow. The commitment is both ways. So pray, decide or choose, ask. There's power to the discipler asking. We mentioned that. And then when you ask someone if you, if they, if you can invest in their lives in discipleship, disciple them, be sure to explain that it's a commitment. Explain that up front. You don't want to sucker them in and say, you know what, we're just going to hang out and have fun, and then a month in say, oh, I was kidding. Boom! We're going to, we're going to memorize these books of the Bible. And they're like, what? That's not what I signed on for. Tell them up front what they're signing on for. Hey, will you go through Disciplines of a Godly Man with me? We'll take one chapter a week, we'll talk about the questions at the end, and we'll hold each other accountable. Say it up front. People like to know what they're getting into up front. You get better commitments when they know what they're getting into up front. So Jesus called. Second thing Jesus did was he trained. He spent three years with these men, training them walking life with them, being with them, living with them. And I'm not saying that when we get into discipling relationships here, you've got to move into each other's homes. Although I've seen that happen as well. But it's about living life together, being open with our lives with each other. Pulling back the curtain to what God is doing, to our struggles, what God is doing in my life, to our weaknesses, to our strengths. Saying, this is how I'm walking with Christ. Will you follow? Will you follow? This aspect of imitation, becoming like the Master. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Think of the three passages you have your fingers in. Matthew 28.19 Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20 teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You get teaching them God's Word, obedience, accountability, all right there. It's part of the training. In the Second Timothy passage, we see, and what you have heard in verse 2, Second Timothy chapter 2, 2, Paul is saying, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Entrust, invest in them, teach them. Treat it as a treasure. My kids love to make things for me. And, and it, it is the most precious thing in the world. Yesterday, Jeffrey came to me and, and he had this card that he had poured, poured into. And, and he said, Dad, Daddy, this is for you. This is for you. Now, was that a casual thing to him? No, I may not have been able to even figure out what the card was for, but, but to him, this was a, a priceless treasure that he was entrusting to me. If I throw that away, what, what happens? Crush his heart. So it's sitting up on the mantle. Place of honor. He entrusted me with that. I value that. Paul says, discipling the training portion, you are entrusting someone with what it means to walk with God. And there's responsibilities of both the one discipling and the one being discipled. 
The one discipling to pass on truth, to pass on what it means to walk with God. The one being discipled to treasure that, to honor that, to follow that. We see in 1 Thessalonians 1, that passage in verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And we see training again, where even through difficult times, Paul is saying, we walked through the trials of life, the dark nights of the soul, when you didn't think you could make it through the afflictions, and we taught you how to still walk with God. So how do we do this at Village? First thing in your notes is to be intentional. Be intentional. Discipleship rarely happens by accident. It happens when we intentionally get together and intentionally bring in the eight ingredients we talked about to bring in God's Word, to bring in accountability. And it needs to be intentional by the leader. By the leader. It's your responsibility. It's your job. Just as dads, that's your job in the home to be intentional about the spiritual training of your families. Second thing in your notes there is just practically set a time frame. Set a time frame both in length and frequency of meeting. I recommend about nine months to a year for, to go through a book for a discipling relationship. After nine months to a year, reevaluate. Is the person ready to do their own group? Great. Send them off. Or are, are there other needs, other areas of growth? Then, then pick another topic and go through another topic. But remember, the goal is to reproduce. Now, do discipling relationships ever end? No. When you invest in someone, you are, you're discipling them the rest of their lives. Just like moms and dads, when you, when your kids move out at 18, 19, 30, whatever it is, (laughs) do you stop being a parent? No. You're a parent the rest of your lives. And it's an awesome thing. You have influence the rest of your life. Now that influence changes. The, the relationship changes. Same thing with discipling. You pour in for this nine months to a year, sort of like kids being at home, and then we come to the point where they're released. But you're still discipling. You're still influencing. Same is true of, of in the spiritual realm. Set a time frame. But also frequency. I recommend groups meet every week or every two weeks. If you get longer than every two weeks, you really lose the continuity. You lose the discipleship aspect. So either every week or every two weeks is essential for a good discipling relationship. It doesn't always have to be the same day of the week, although that's often helpful for groups. But sometimes with some, with some men, it varies depending on work schedules, depending on my schedule. But be committed to it. Third thing is choose material. Choose material, and I encourage you to decide material together. When there's investment, when there's mutual investment and a mutual decision between the whole group, then people will respond to it better. Second page of your notes, or a page of resources in your worship folder this morning, this is a preliminary list of discipleship resources. I had said in January we'd be teaching all year, and in September we'd roll out a lot of resources. But in talking to a lot of you, you're like, September's a long time away still. We're, we're excited. We're ready to go. And so we put together a preliminary list of resources with a description of each one, what it might be used for. If you're interested in looking at any of those, we have every one of those out on at the coffee cart in the, the um, lobby here. Every one of them's there that you can just glance through. For me, it's great reading a description, but i got to get that book in my hands. 
open it up, see what it looks like. It's part of our, our equipping and resourcing. If you're not able to then get them on your own or order them on your own, Pastor Andrew or I would be glad to help you with that. If there's any resources you want to use. Finally, the last one on, on Jesus trained is remember the essential ingredients. Remember the essential ingredients. Those eight ingredients, that's why I reviewed them at the beginning. All eight of those should be part of a discipling relationship. It's part of life. Finally, Jesus called, Jesus trained, and Jesus sent. Jesus sent. This is when he says to his disciples, go and make disciples. The idea is to reproduce. And you've heard me say that every time we've talked about it now. Because hopefully we're pounding that into our collective mindset. Our job, by God, is to make disciples. That's His commission to us, to be fishers of men. Jesus spent time with twelve to touch the world. D.L. Moody said, It's better to train ten people than to do the work of ten people. But it is harder. But it is harder. Training is not easy, but that's the goal. In the First Thessalonians 1 passage that you have there, you see that in verses 7 and 8. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. In the Second Timothy passage, Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In Jesus' great commission, go and make disciples. Jesus sent. And so as you're discipling someone about halfway through, it's a great time to say, are you starting to pray for people you might want to invest in? Are you starting to pray for how you might want to do the same thing for someone else? And just build in the concept of reproduction right into the process. Right into the process. As far as responsibilities and roles of the discipler and the one being discipled, we'll cover those a a little bit more on Mother's Day and Father's Day. But one word that I have for those of you here that are, are sitting here thinking, I can't disciple someone. Pastor Ron, do you know the stuff in my life? Do you know I'm not perfect? Yeah, yeah, I know you're not perfect. Do you know I'm not perfect? Parents aren't perfect, but they're still called to, to, to parent. And, and when we think of our qualifications, and, and we think of the qualifications of the twelve, these odd people that Jesus chose, they weren't chosen because they were perfect. They were chosen because God knew that they would dedicate their lives to God that they would be sold out for God, all but one, and God had a plan for that one. (laughs) And so if you're sitting here today thinking, man, I think maybe God's calling me to do it, but I'm not sure. Know that the essential qualification is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And that you're willing to be committed to those marks of a disciple. Because there's something powerful about saying to somebody, you know what, I'm not there yet either, but this is the goal. Let's get there together. Let's get there together. Lord God, our Father, 
Thank you again for your sacrifice. Lord, burn in our hearts a desire to do what you have called us to do and disciple others and to be discipled. Lord, over the next three months, I pray that this congregation would be praying for who they would disciple. Lord, that some would start discipling and jump in and see what you might do when we obey your word. Burn that into our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, amen.